0: You're tuned into DK Mag Podcast, online source for horror, thriller, and sci fi entertainment news.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. This is Ken R2s, founder for DK Mag. And this is our first time that we're going to be doing an Instagram live with our podcast. So you're going to see the ins and outs of our recording. And we have some great journalists, podcasters on the line, and we're all going to be talking about four, four interesting topics on HAR cinema. Joining me as co-host is...
2: Acts, Spine, DK.
1: And now I'm going to cue in our guest panelist for this roundtable event. First, we have Everything Horror Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Great, great. Thank you for your time and joining us on this roundtable discussion.
3: Uh, Pleasure is all mine or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fun. Maybe in spirit. (laughs) Looking forward
1: to your topic.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody. Anyways, everybody stay tuned because it is going to be good. And who knows? gonna have a good old grand old time
1: great let me chime in our next panelist for our discussion possessed radio hey guys how's it going all right we're doing great can't wait for your topic and also thank you for joining us on this discussion it's
0: gonna be a lot of fun
1: and in this episode we'll be featuring an exclusive interview with filmmaker Stuart spark the discussion his upcoming film titled Book of Monsters that will be in film festival circulation this year. After a successful campaign over at Kickstarter which had the audiences slash backers select kill scenes and key antagonist creatures, this film is innovative in that arena by putting the basically the plot characters in the hands of the audience that's that's pretty cool so stay tuned for that interview and without further ado and let's kick it off with our first topic
0: segment one symbolism in horror films
1: this is the following topic that it may or may not resonate with the audience and we're talking about symbolism symbolism is in everything we buy read consume it is in every advertisement commercial and film uh for those who are aware the 1988 john carpenter action horror sci-fi although it was fiction presented the audience with truth of symbolism and subliminal messages I'm not going to go into the Illuminati. A lot of people talk about the Illuminati. That's not the topic of the discussion. That term is irrelevant, especially with the many societies that is out there that we don't know about. That's the topic for something else. With horror film, astute audiences will find many symbolisms that either go with the story or as an added message. Take for example, the One-Eye. The posters from Star Wars The Force Awakens, the One-Eye sign is in popular culture and is omnipresent. So what does it mean, the One-Eye? We don't know. There are many interpretations and I'm not gonna delve into that. Next we have the Monarch Butterfly. This insect is in many horror posters the 1991 thriller, Silence of the Lambs, and the 2016 horror film, Before Awake. With the latter, the use of the monarch butterfly ties in with the occult and mind control. With mind control, the objective is to condition subjects in such a way that they end up acting without consciously thinking. It becomes instinct. With the film Before I Awake, the theme of the film was about dreaming and breaking the consciousness with the unconscious mind. In the 2010 thriller A Serbian Film and the 2016 release A Cure for Wellness both featured checkerboard floor patterns. These were inserted in key scenes. The checkerboard floor symbolizes duality. And for those who have seen A Cure for Wellness, the antagonist, he literally has two faces. So this presentation is not about the satanic or occult symbols in horror films. We all know that's gonna be there because it's a horror film, duh, oh shit, no surprise. We're talking about symbols that shouldn't be there. Checkerboards, monarch butterflies, the one eye. What do these things mean? So kicking it off, Stacy, Uh, What does these symbols, have you seen them? Have you noticed them? And if you haven't, are these eye-openers to really look into? Well, I have seen them. Um,
2: Have I noticed them before? You said something about them? No. Uh, Pretty much, um, as I said before, just going through, watching films. I mean, you don't really... Unless you're like deep into it like you, and you actually did open my eyes to that. So now, when I look at horror films, I look at that stuff. I look for the butterfly, I look for the one eye and all of that. And um, the checkerboard, you know, the lady in the white dress or the red dress, which is supposed to mean, isn't that supposed to mean a sacrifice or something? So now going into film, I am more uh, attentive as I should say looking out for that and then now and I'm just like oh, I wonder what that means you know so now when I know when I see the butterfly, it's like oh okay, there's the butterfly so <laughs> you actually did open my mind to paying more attention because when I watch watching movies at first and just watch it I'm not really I'm just like, what is the butterfly in here but i didn't
1: really see anything well i'm glad i opened your eyes and paul what is your opinion on these symbolisms have you seen them have you noticed them and if you haven't are these eye openers to consider now that you've heard of them
3: uh no actually i have heard of what you're talking about except for maybe the checkerboard um I, but um the butterfly that kind of reminded me of like uh, the butterfly effect which we've kind of seen presented with uh, the Until Dawn video game or even the, the uh, Butterfly Effect movies. Um, otherwise, I'm not too familiar with the checkerboard, I guess. Maybe I've actually seen the checkerboard and not even realize it. And then uh, as for like women in black and red and white and blue whatever um usually usually like stacy was saying there there's like a sacrifice involved so depending on the color it stands for something completely different like uh i think white is mainly more like a healing or if not like like i have like um you know you're supposed to feel safe rather with black you already know death is coming kind of thing and then red I guess you could say it's like a sacrifice that would right. be my uh, two cents on it um, yeah otherwise butterflies um, you know they 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 always say with the two wings of a butterfly there's two paths and then you got the left path and then you got the right path meaning like the left wing the right wing kind of thing and then um i'm trying to think of some good examples for like dresses now but i mean uh i don't know how many people would be maybe familiar with like the uh what do they call or like the red nun or the red nurse or whatever from like uh remothered or something right like that's comp- like it's comp- almost like a cult thing going on right and then or look at uh the void for example they they all wore um as much as i hate to say it but like you know they hate they have that weird dress on like almost like the kkk did but it just like the, the void like that triangle sign in the mask so i think that's really about my two cents but for symbolism in general um it works and i mean And what I mean by that is like, look at like Blair uh, Blair Witch Project, like uh, with the way the uh, symbols are created in the woods. Like if we personally saw one, we're going to be like, oh shit, Blair Witch. (laughs) And then it it goes on from there. So yeah, you know. (laughs) Um, Steven,
0: what do you think of this, by the way? So uh, I agree with what you guys are saying. And I think that as a whole in horror movies, symbolism is really crucial especially for the ones that really stick with us because it's trying to convey a deeper meaning of things and with the the examples that you've given like the the checkerboard floor you do see that a lot i mean it was even in the the new trailer from the floor there. there there's stuff like that um the butterfly is always related to a chaos theory you never know what kind of consequences you're going to get which is extremely important for any choice you make in a horror movie and I think with the idea of this woman in white, it's it, it's every bit as much of like a folk tale. I mean, I think just about every major area has some kind of woman in white story. It's always this this tale of innocence that's somehow gone wrong, and somebody pays the price. And colors often get used, especially if you look at something like *Mask of the Red Death*. I mean, there's always some kind of symbolic meaning. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe was his family was ravaged by diphtheria, I believe, or yellow fever, one of the two and so it was kind of a a heavy meaning towards that but some of my other favorite symbolism that you often see is actually like religious so one of my favorite movies is jacob's ladder so if you look at jacob's ladder i mean the ladder is is kind of your idea of this exact biblical reference down to his name and then it's, it's heaven i mean you see you see lights in the subway you see things flashing by and it that kind of thing really sticks with you because As you're watching these movies, you have to wonder, okay, is that just a checkered floor? Or are they trying to hint at something? Or are they trying to give me a a glimpse into the future? It's this really fun game of foreshadowing and how you can take things.
1: Absolutely, right. And with that, sometimes we don't know what the director is talking about when he inserts it Is he, like I mentioned, is it part of the story or did he just slide it in there? And people who are aware with the occult symbolisms of these, the meanings behind these things. Like, the perfect example that I made was the film for Gore Zabinski. And literally, the antagonist had two faces. And when his character was revealed, he was dancing on a checkerboard pattern and I knew,
0: hey, Something's up with this guy. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean it makes perfect sense when you when you look back, and that that's one of the cool things about rewatching some awesome horror movies.
1: Uh, definitely, that's so true. As I mentioned too in my presentation, these symbols are everywhere.
0: Exclusive interview. Filmmaker. Stuart Spark. Book of Monsters.
4: So what have you three got planned for this evening?
0: Oh, you know, just quiet night in with the girls.
4: Bed <laughs> by midnight, okay?
0: See? party central. How are these people? They don't go to our school. Relax. Wait, that's my bedroom. Oh, this was a bad idea.
2: Why do you hang around with them? Smile Sophie, you might find you like it.
1: Joining me this afternoon, evening slash morning, is filmmaker Stuart Spark. And this is his second interview here at Mag. Our first interview was, was a couple of years ago. Then, The Creature Below was the debut feature film for Mr. Spark. And now, after the success of a crowdfunding campaign, his second film, Book of Monsters, will be hitting the film festival circuit this year. Do keep an eye out for it. Uh, The trailer trapped, and I myself find this film fascinating. It combines elements of comedy, gore, female, strong female protagonists, which is a big plus for me. So, yeah, it's great to feature Mr. Spark again here on our podcast. We followed his career, as I mentioned, since the beginning with his first film, The Creature Below, and now the second, Book of Monsters. Thank you so much for your time once again, returning on to DK Mag Podcast. The last we spoke was about a year ago. Uh, and a lot has happened since then. You had a very successful Kickstarter, you have another film hitting the film festival circuit for this year. Uh, do provide uh, a recap on the turn of events that's been going on.
4: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy ride the past um, year. So, I think we spoke to you in our first feature film uh, that myself and my collaborator Paul Butler made was The Creature Below that had just been to Fright Fest. And since then, um, it's now on DVD in like eight countries now you can buy it and it's coming out in another one uh, in August. So that that's done really well. We're so happy that that's kind of got out there, especially for a low budget film. Um, and we really wanted to get straight into the next one. Uh, and we've been looking at kickstarter as as an avenue for quite a while and we have this idea for a film called book of monsters which we thought would be really cool we've always had a um a love of choose your own adventure stories where the audience could choose what happens next. And it's like turn to page 27 to go down the dark hallway or turn to page 35 to turn back the way you came and things like that. And um, Book of Monsters kind of began life as a bit of a choose your own adventure film. And we thought Kickstarter is the perfect avenue to do that. So there was six key things that we wanted to pick, um, which the audience could actually vote on for the film because unfortunately it's very hard to make a film where you can literally do a choose your own adventure thing where the audience is hitting a button and literally live making it happen mm-hmm. uh, but we thought as a great incentive for Kickstarter backers they can vote on which monsters will be in the film which um, gory deaths occur what's the special prop that a character uses to fight back against the monsters uh, and we hit we launched that campaign last May uh, no sorry june um and it it went fantastic we we hit our target and um we we had tons of backers and a lot of them had seen our film at fright fest which was fantastic um and yeah we've we spent the last year making the film and just last month we announced that we've we've gone into fright fest again so it's going to be fantastic to go back with a Hopefully, a bigger, better film um, that a lot of the fright fest audience actually contributed to. So it's it's their film as much as ours, um, and yeah, it's it's just been a roller coaster ride. Really, it hasn't stopped.
1: That is great to hear. I'm uh, really looking forward to Book of Monsters, and one of the key aspects that you offered for the Kickstarter campaign were the options for the audiences to choose the antagonist i think that was a great idea because you put in <laughs> the future of the movie in the hands of the viewer not many directors or filmmakers uh, offer that incentive
4: yeah it's um paul and i it was a big risk really it had to be very carefully thought out because ultimately uh we me and paul developed the story together we had the full breakdown in there and each of the monsters was kind of a classic horror archetype. So you have the slasher, you you have your Jason, your Michael Myers type character, uh, and you have your beast, which is your big monster that comes in and eats people. And then we had the critters, which are your your gremlins, your ghoulies, that type of monster. So what we did in the early stage of the script was we put this, the slasher comes in and does this, but ultimately we didn't yet know what it looked like or what weapons it had. So we had to write the script in a way which would allow us to insert those in without completely having to rewrite the whole thing. So we were very careful about how much control we gave over. But I do think we gave over quite a lot of control (laughs) in the end. And it was quite a challenge, I must say, because our, our turnaround from the Kickstarter closing to us rolling the cameras on the first day of principal photography was only about three weeks four weeks so we had to work really fast The the special effects artists had to almost be ready to go with any of the monsters that got chosen uh, so they were busy making mock-ups and designs. Um, we had a fantastic concept artist, thankfully, uh, Abigail Harding, who had drawn these amazing monster designs. And so the effects guys were ready to go. And as soon as we got the votes in for what people wanted, we adapted the script as quickly as we could. And and that was a great experience because a lot of fun things came out of it. Um, some of the things people picked, we expected them to pick we were kind of counting on oh they're surely (laughs) going to go for this one for example Uh, and they did but some of them we were like completely surprised we went oh they went for that And and it ended up benefiting the film no end because you've got such variety in there and it's all tied together through the book of monsters in the film, which is, is what summons the monsters to this party. Uh, and I think it's great because Kickstarter backers are going to be able to see in the book, oh, that's the monster that I picked. Um, and then they're going to be able to see it on screen and they're going to see their choices. And uh, we, we had quite a bit of a luxury uh, with our effects guys. We use uh, DDFX. They are um, Paul Wilkins and Mark Wilkins. They love what they do. Absolutely love blood guts monsters, um, and we had in the voting. It was you know choose the gory death. So one of them was someone gets torn vertically down the middle in half. <laughs> the other <laughs> one was someone gets squeezed out the top like a tube of toothpaste. They loved some of them so much. We've actually got more than one in the film. So the winning one is in there, but we actually threw a few more in as well, just because we like them so much. So everyone gets uh, satisfied. Um, if you if you like gore, I think you'll be satisfied.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. I'm always. Uh, but- the, the, the gore here uh, i've seen the trailer the gore factor it is ex- acceptable being that you mix a comedy pretty well so it doesn't bombard the audience into a gore fest uh, mutilation type of film it's <laughs> actually quite campy uh, and it reminds me of a throwback from the yesteryear of horror films that had that gore as well as comedies that was the direction you uh this film was going towards
4: yeah definitely i mean i'm a huge fan of peter jackson's early work so you've got brain dead or i think it's called dead alive in in the states um and things like that that are ridiculously gory but you're laughing your head off the whole time because it's absolutely ridiculous and it's like the scene in braindead he's going in with the lawnmower and he's mowing them up and there's the little (laughs) baby creature that's pulling people's heads off it's hilarious and it's disgusting and it keeps the energy of the scenes going, and we really wanted to get that across so you, you kind of see it in the trailer brief section of the sequence where the monster first appears and hopefully people will be laughing and and just having a great time because it's just ridiculous people screaming, running around, running into the monsters and getting into all sorts of trouble and that's where we kind of worked in all the deaths that we had on the Kickstarter so they kind of peppered throughout the film but we didn't, yeah, it's definitely a fun film, me and Paul, we With Creature Below, it was a much more serious film, it was a slow burn, it was more psychological horror than than Creature Feature, Uh, and we just said, look, we want to make something that people are going to laugh, cry, you know, scream, and come out with a smile on their face. And uh, hopefully we've done that with this one.
1: Right, yeah, I I was about to uh, mention, uh, The Creature Below is way of extremely different, far end of the spectrum when it comes to visual storytelling. And Book of Monsters is a great addition to your resume because it diversifies your palette as a filmmaker.
4: I hope so. Yeah, we we didn't want to. We we definitely don't want to keep making the same film. And Creature Below was it was our first feature. We were still really learning. How to even make films at that point we we'd made a lot of short films before but it was that was our film school really was making the creature below and and I feel like we've we learned so much on that and we really grown as filmmakers both technically and aesthetically uh, and in storytelling uh, and we wanted to see what we could do with that and again yeah make it make it as different as we could and, and it's the same goes with you know all the ideas that we've got. Kind of down the pipeline for things we'd love to make. They're all so different from one another, Uh, and I think that's key, really, because we really want to show what we can do.
1: Uh, That's great. And for the protagonists here, uh, what would audiences be expecting? I'm uh, referring to the trailer and for the poster art. I see that we have the strong protagonist, the the strong female protagonists.
4: Yeah, you're gonna see quite a journey for the three leads in the film. You've got um, Sophie, who is our lead, who's played by Lindsay Crane. You've got um, Mona, who's played by Michaela Longden, who you probably recognize from The Creature Below. And then you've got Lizzie Stanton, who's playing Beth. And they're kind of our three the focus of the film um, and they're all friends at school and they're all misfits outcasts and they're thrown into this mad situation and must try and and rally everyone else together and um, to fight back the monsters and and Sophie in particular is her story very much um, and we've got Nicholas Vince on board to play Jonas who's her father in the film um, and it adds such an emotional core to it and there's a great um, kind of the the plot involving Sophie is to do with her mother and 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 how the book ties into that i don't want to say too much because it will spoil the film but <laughs> i think what definitely tried to do is you you've got you've got a horror film that's got a lot of comedic elements that has got a lot of gore but i mean we we watched so many paul and i uh these kind of schlocky horror films Uh, where it's just women running around in in tight shirts getting killed and there's no substance to it. And and whilst those films definitely have a place, we do enjoy them, we wanted to have an emotional core to this crazy story that grounds it in reality. So whilst you do have a lot of crazy things going on and crazy characters, you can still empathise with Sophie and you can still uh, experience her journey with her as she grows from quite a timid girl with with quite a, a dark past and and growing into this really strong woman by the end and she's got her core team with her and um, the supporting cast as well they're, they're absolutely fantastic. We've got some, again, some familiar faces from Creature Below. We've got Daniel Thrace back. He was, we just love working with him. He's been in pretty much five, six films we've made so far. Um, But we've got so many other great people who've joined us on this. We've got Aaron Dennis, Anna Dawson's back from The Creature Below. She was our lead in the last one and she's playing the complete opposite character she played in Creature Below, which I think will be really fun for people who've seen Creature Below because she's she's really fantastic in this and you're gonna love to hate her character.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those characters, okay.
4: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, work with so many new people as well and I think yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get your blood and guts and and comedy, but you're gonna have a really sweet story uh, that hopefully will have an emotional payoff for the audience with with Sophie as well.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, and to touch on what you mentioned, uh, the horror films of yesteryear did elaborate on the women in tight outfits falling down, getting killed. So it's good yeah. to see a substance, uh, a good, strong, character-driven narrative infused into this uh, film Book of Monsters, which that also elevates the visuals and everything else that's going on. the audiences will really adapt to the evolution of the character.
4: Yeah, I hope so. It's um, We definitely want to make sure that we're going to surprise people here with... Uh, playing with their expectations because obviously when films are marketed as well, um, obviously you've got the girls on the cover, on the poster and and Fright Fest has just put up an amazing new poster and the three girls are kind of front and centre on it and they've got their weapons and they're looking really badass but I think when people get into the nitty gritty of the film and they're going to be really surprised by what we've done with it, um, which is our hope really is that people come out kind of quite fulfilled in that they've experienced quite a nice story uh, within it.
1: And the poster you're referring to, that's the poster art that is on INDB. Uh, Very retro looking. I I like that. It's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, that's by the dude designs. He's done, uh, we we saw his work. He does a lot of stuff. uh, um, Kind of, he's done a lot of independent films, horror films. He did innkeepers. But he's also done things like, uh, yeah, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, Wolf Cop. Uh, that he really wants to kind of bring bring back that hand painted art style from 80s and 90s films that I think is sorely missing at the moment because you get a lot of mass manufactured posters with um, just the key marketing element that may not even have anything to do with the film. I mean, <laughs> we we experienced that with Creature Below because we we done our own poster for it that we thought was quite. Um, suitable for the movie but <laughs> when you see it on dvd it's it's really epic and it's a woman swimming in a bikini and <laughs> we've kind of learned that, that is how they do it and we were like we really want to nail this the <clears throat> style and tone of the film in the poster with this one so um tom hodge from the dude designs uh drew up the poster um kind of we were, we were looking for something reminiscent of um those 80s action films, a bit of the Goonies in there, uh, Goosebumps, things like that that we remember um, from our childhood that hopefully people will resonate will resonate with people.
1: Yeah, that is one of the aspects of horror that I truly miss, it was the artwork. We don't see that these days, i got to agree with you, everything is mass marketed, digital, stock photography. It's good to see uh, creative imagery, uh, you don't judge the book by its cover, but it's good to have a, a nice cover to go with the book. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, definitely, and it's like it's big part of of horror fans as as a community. A um, uh, uh, massive collectors. I mean, this is why you've got things like Arrow Video, who do these amazing, you know, four K restorations of of classic horror uh, suspense films, and they'll find the original artwork and they'll commission, you know, new artwork to be made that is done in the style of the period the film was made. So um, it's things like they re released The Thing recently um, with some fantastic new artwork and. I rushed out to get it because I was like, wow, I get to pick this thing up with this amazing artwork on. It's a great film. Um, and yeah, I agree completely is that these, I, the more and more these classic posters are coming back and um, places like Fright Fest, if you just look through the the schedule, you can see quite a few There, I know Tom from Dude Designs has just done another um, poster for a film that's in the festival as well. So it's, uh, yeah, we've got to represent.
1: <laughs> exactly. And in comparison to The Creature Below and with The Book of Monsters, uh, what has transitioned over and uh, aided you as a filmmaker to create a better product for the audiences uh, with Book of Monsters?
4: Um, I mean, transitioning over, I mean, in terms of like lessons learned that we carried over, um, it was what we could accomplish with, the small budget was definitely something that we, we learn uh, on The Creature Below. And I, we, we we realized how much we could do and that we could actually do more uh, with the resources that we had available to us and with the cast as well, because th- these are incredibly talented people who aren't yet, you know, big they're not big Hollywood names, they're independent actors who are working their way up just like us. But they're absolutely amazing. So we want to really kind of give them these amazing performances and and really focus on the character in this one because with Creature Below it was all about um, Anna Dawson's character, Olive, and it was her story. But we've got quite an ensemble cast in this one. Uh, and each character's kind of got their own little <laughs> journey and, and subplot going on in the background that I think people are really going to enjoy and and the technical and aesthetic aspects as well, with with Creature Below it was um, our director of photography uh, Cal O'Connell, who was co-produced on this film um, I, I kind of stepped in and did a bit of um, cinematography at one point it was very rough and ready and for this one we were like, no, we need to really get a good crew behind us um, so we got um, our new director of photography, uh, Hamish Sachs um, who graduated from the Northern Film School uh, in Leeds? Absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've worked with him before, but he just brought this uh, amazing professionalism to the set and his crew that he brought with him. And the the picture quality, the lighting, everything is is steps above. And and that's really the trick to low budget films is. Um, I mean our film really didn't cost too much money if you look at the Kickstarter that was part of our budget it's still classed as a you know even a no-budget film by Hollywood standards and it's really putting every single penny on the screen um, to make it feel like it's it's got a lot more money behind it so it can stand up there with these bigger films that come out there because it's incredibly hard for independent films to, to kind of get seen um, but by pushing all the technical and aesthetic aspects of it and really going yeah, every penny on the screen. We've, 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 I think, done a really good job with this one, and hopefully, you can see that in the trailer. That the, the difference between this and the creature below.
1: Yeah, the trailer does, in fact, highlight the action sequences, the color tones, it, it very retro, and at the same time, I could see the elevation it, when it comes to the visual effects.
4: Yeah, definitely, and I, I that was one of the bigger lessons learned on Creature Below. Was um, practical effects are key. Um, especially on low-budget indie film and especially in the horror genre because, as a horror fan myself, um, you see a bad CGI effect. It takes you straight out of the film. Um, I mean, we we were working under such constraints with Creature Below that we had to have um, quite a bit of visual effects in there. There was a lot of practical as well, but we had quite a bit of CGI. And it, it, Looking back, it was something that, obviously, we would have preferred to have done practically, but it, it wasn't practical for us to do that if you know what i mean at the time um whereas with this one we've made a huge commitment to go all practical effects so all of the monsters we did in the exact same way that they would have done in the 80s there's people in costumes there's puppeteers um running around it's the gore is being chucked from Buckets and blunderblusses and and all sorts of stuff all over the place. We've got wires pulling things over, um, and we really wanted to kind of replicate what we loved in films like you know Evil Dead Two and, and Brain Dead, um, and and that's been key for this one. So I'm proud to say that you know aside from a few um, little visual effects touch-ups that are, well they're necessary these days to hide wires and things like that. It's it's a very much a practical effects film.
1: Oh, that's great. That's outstanding, and for. Being a small budget films, I think that is the trend now with the horror genre. And of course, bloomhouse they are a good example of creating a low budget product and putting it on the market for big returns. I think that's really what is transitioning the indie scene, especially with films that are heavy with practical or special effects.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Blumhouse. Uh, you know, we talk about them all the time because they're such an. Ama- they're doing amazing stuff. I mean, they they really hit it with um, you know your insidious, your conjuring films, but they've got their Blumhouse Tilt um, label, which is finding a lot smaller indie directors to come in and kind of bring their creativity to these bigger ideas. And we're getting some amazing content out there. I mean, the fact that they kind of brought M Night Shyamalan back from his his <laughs> back um, from the grave. <laughs> yeah, back from the grave. I mean, but Split was fantastic and also I really loved uh, The Visit was a really fun little film as well. It's it's about these simple ideas that are executed and artistically they're very creepy and scary and uh, yeah, they're just so effective. Um and I, I think the practical effects are, are really in demand these days and that's the response we've had to the trailer and the poster is like oh this looks like an authentic kind of 80s throwback film and people are we've had a few like trailer reaction videos on youtube people go wow practical effects like i'm in i'm in already just, <laughs> the practical effects. I'm, I'm gonna watch it so that's definitely kind of worked in our favor for this and hopefully people really enjoy it because it's just being on set with them is absolute an absolute joy because we were, we have the little gnomes in the film that you'll see in the trailer and the little garden gnome puppets. And uh, you know, that they're, they're- supposed to look silly like a a garden gnome's been kind of taken over by this demonic force and it's running at you trying to kill you and we were just laughing ourselves to death (laughs) on set playing around with these things and you watch with the the clips we've shown to people people are loving that kind of stuff because it immediately gives you an idea of what the type of film we're trying to make and it's not trying to take itself too seriously and it's just fun And, and you don't so much mind that they are puppets you can tell they're puppets but it's such a big difference from having you know a cgi version of that
1: Oh well, w- tremendous, huge difference. That that's for sure. And this is the segment right now. Uh, the final two questions. Uh, one is uh, your evolution as a filmmaker. You, this is your second release right now, f- full feature. Uh, what are your advices for those who really want to come up into the field of producing, writing, or just creating content for horror film?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest advice is to just stop saying you're going to do it and do it. And I know that's a bit of a cliche, but me and Paul for years talked about making a feature film. And it always seemed like this huge thing that is, you know, you need loads of money to do it. And I mean, we only saved up £12,000, which... Yeah, it's it's quite a bit of money, but it's it's not a lot. When uh, we we basically saved up for a year, we both just worked nine to five jobs, and we, we, which we are still in now. You know, it's something you've got to keep going at. You've got to have another job, a source of income, but save up that money that you'd normally spend on, you know, your PlayStation games or going to the cinema, and uh, work hard to come up with something you want to make. Get a good team of people behind you and put that money to good use and just make it. I mean, we made the creature below on a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera that cost four hundred pounds. Um, people are making feature films on Canon digital SLR cameras that they can get for a few hundred quid It's, uh, I mean there's fil- films on iPhones now, you can you can do it so technology is no longer um, a limitation for people because it's so readily available it's just the driving enthusiasm to do it because um, I mean <laughs> me and Paul went to a, a local college recently to kind of do a talk about this and we were kind of saying look you've kind of got to be willing to get home from work or get home from school and immediately then be working your other job which is filmmaking exactly. and, and you know I, I spend many a night staying up till 2 2 a.m and then i've got to get up at 6 a.m to go to work and then i get <laughs> back and the cycle begins again and yeah it's tiring but we want to do it that badly that it's fine we, you know that's what we're got to do so it's just commitment really more than anything and just getting out and doing it
1: absolutely i agree and I agree with the technology being readily available, especially with the mobile devices. Is the technology and there's high definition, high resolution, a good film put it posted on YouTube and Instagram TV. We we are living in a good era right now that we have this easily accessible resources.
4: Yeah, definitely. There, there is literally no excuse anymore to do it. I mean, there's there's all these 40-hour film challenges or film marathons that you see a lot of people running where they give you a camera and they go, right, you've got 40 hours to go make a film. And that's a good practice, just do that as an exercise for yourself. Um, because, yeah, just grab your phone and go and do it. And, and editing software as well. I mean, you can even get, like... Um, Avid Media Composer, which is you know, it's one of the industry leading ones. Now do a free version right. uh, that you can get, and that used to cost two thousand pounds upwards to get the the featured version. You can get it for free now, so just yeah, get out and do it, definitely.
1: Great and the final question is mostly an open platform uh plug in the social media handles for yourself for your film and where uh book of monsters will be screened at so far i know it's in film festival circulation so you may not have all the uh the sites that it would be shown but the ones that are do uh solidified at the moment
4: yeah so i mean you can you can find out more about the film um follow us on twitter just search for book of monsters same on facebook um you can check out our website dartrooffilms.com to kind of learn more about us our previous films and maybe some future stuff um as for book of monsters uh, we've just finished uh, post-production so our first um our world premiere is going to be at fright fest on the 25th of august at prince charles cinema in london um there's there's still some tickets left, but it's, it's sold really well, actually. We're really happy with it. So uh, we think it's going to be a fantastic turnout and a great time because pretty much all of the cast and crew are coming. So, and they haven't even seen it yet. We haven't had a cast and crew screening, so this oh. is actually the first time the cast are coming, so all of the lead cast are coming down, uh, the crew, so we'll be there to do a Q&A, uh, take lots of photos, and and just have a great time, really. Um, but that is, that's the first festival we've got to announce at the moment. We are kind of doing the rounds on the festival circuit at the moment, but we've got nothing yet that we can announce.
1: <laughs> okay, great, great. Well, best of luck to the film festival run for Book of Monsters, and congratulations on completing another feature film is great to see your evolution as a filmmaker uh, from the start really we covered your first film and now your second looking yeah. forward to the third
4: <laughs> i hope so man yeah thank you so much for all your support and uh, we'll definitely be back to speak to you next time hopefully with uh, with the third film
0: segment two: a horror fan stuck in a nostalgic era so the topic that i have in mind i'm i'm actually really interested to hear what you guys think as a panel because i think it it could be kind of foreseen as something that's really not a popular opinion but as a group we we we've seen a lot of horror reviews we see the movies we see the trends that occur we go to the conventions and i i think that horror is actually kind of bottlenecked right now and it's not progressing because we're kind of stuck in this nostalgic age and What I mean by that is that horror has progressed. Uh, If you look back at like the 30s and 40s, we have movies that were inspired by themes of the time with the Great Depression. When we start to move to the 50s and 60s, we start to get things more liberal uh, as we become more open to things, more sexual, more violence. And then when we've moved, even for actors like Wes Craven and John Carpenter, who have taken horror to our doorstep, you know, they've started to have these uh, killers that are just in the suburbs. And it's kind of changed the way that we frame horror. And I think that fans claim right now that they want change. But most times what we see is a lot of the same old, same old. We see our Freddy's and our Jason's daily. and when we get these original ideas they're often met with a lot of strife so for example like recently we've had the films by a24 we've got our uh the witch we've got it comes at night and then also you've got things like the babadook it follows and these are movies that don't really specifically fit a mold that we can reference and critics love them they love the departure and the audience as a whole is very mixed there's a lot of people who are very much against it and I think part of it's because there's still a lot of people who want remakes of these classics in their minds, and they go and support it, and that kind of says to Hollywood, okay, why don't we just keep milking this for all it's worth? And there's some audiences who don't want to move on from this older style of film, and instead you see people arguing about what should be remade, or maybe they want, you know, their 13th installment of Friday the 13th to come to life, and things like that. But I think another thing that we see as a trend in response to that is people making these movies that are in the spirit of, so, I mean, when you see like Stranger Things, trying to get at those for 80s nostalgia, you got Rob Zombie with his 70s grindhouse style. And I think this refusal to move on from these older ages has really prevented horror as we know it from moving forward. What do you think about this, Paul?
3: Well, first of all, I'm glad that you actually brought up the witch because the witch was by far one of my favorite films when it came out to theaters, and you know, like you were saying, to the uh, credits, the critics were uh, loving it up. Everything like there was articles going around saying that Satan would see this movie twice, and um, you, you know, it. Then you look at all the people. Uh, who comment on it and who went to go see it and their result is like oh well i went to go see a scary film but this wasn't scary there was no jump scare blah 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 blah." so in a way it's like okay so in your mind you only went to this movie because you wanted to get jump scared come on now like I told people even when I wrote my Facebook post for this film I said this is a like in a way a history lesson this is nothing about trying to get your ass scared from a few cheap cheesy ass forsaken god forsaken jump scares this is really trying to say like hey wake up look around you there could be witches living amongst us and you know you're right you're right people all they want nowadays is remakes and it's horrible because it kind of goes into my segment of what i'm gonna be doing too is like in this rate if people want remakes then where's the original content gonna come out of where's it gonna be produced and clearly it's not hollywood because they're following the same bullshit, which is re- uh, remake this remake that uh Ken can back me on this maybe and if not like throw out a few title two is that like um what is it? Uh Christine being remade, I believe. Firestarter. Um I know we got this new Halloween reboot or whatever. Um I've heard so many different type of ways of put the Halloween of uh, this upcoming new Halloween that it you know, it's just I don't know. I mean I don't want I don't want to ride the hype train for Halloween, or in the matter of any hype, really, because sometimes uh, the hype can overkill the film, possibly, and then that will create people like like The Witch, because I won't lie, they kind of did overdo The Witch, but in this case, it was kind of necessary, if that makes sense, and... Uh, I I don't know I mean uh, it's just a sad it's just a sad world Um, Stacy what are your thoughts on this
2: Steven I love that you brought up movies like The Witch Um, and I couldn't understand it myself you know why critics were craving these kinds of movies because going to watch the witch I looked at the screen like what is going on here like me i i definitely i expected the jump scare I expected like just about every other witch movie we've ever seen you know um I expected what black magic and all of that the craziness and then before it to be so let's see minimalistic and subliminal as it was it definitely like I didn't really classify it as horror for per- for like uh, psychological suspense, and then to see critics rave over that, and I'm like, uh, "Did you watch the same film that <laughs> I watched?" And then when we get back into all the remakes, the, you know, reboots and everything, all of the Jasons and Freddy's and all of that, um, as um, you know, you and Paul mentioned, and seeing how. You know, other reviewers, not the Chris, but other reviewers are joining that bandwagon for the remakes and reboots. It's just like, okay, that is insane as well. You know, we're tired of all these remakes and reboots. Uh, we want something different. You know, we want something different. We want a different voice. We want creativity, originality. And movies like The Witch definitely offer that um but i think we're still also looking for that jump scare per se because i mean we've talked about it before what is horror mm. you know horror is supposed to scare you you know it's supposed to and, and it's not really scaring you anymore right and um so yeah when uh, you can't really classify movies like the witch as horror i don't think and Uh it's it's also (laughs) yeah like i said it is different so i'll give it that but i feel like critics are just like theirs they're they're all over the place they are so all over the place it's fun
1: you see this topic just went into different areas where now we're discussing what is horror and the witch well the the witch was more of a suspense thriller in my opinion if you want to put it into a label but the the classification of uh our fans stuck in a nostalgic era i think it's true and even if we see the new films that is coming out now they always pay well we have three films now that we have book of monsters that it's coming out on the film festival circuit has that retro feel um summer of 84 has that retro feel uh look at stranger things also nostalgic so it it seems like it's a great idea now but it's also still paying homage it doesn't feel original per
0: se no no i'd I'd agree with that and i think that the only real positive that this has for people who want to branch out who want to see horror evolve is that this gives independent filmmakers their opportunity to provide the people with something that's unique and different that hollywood just isn't offering right now
1: oh yeah uh you see we splintered again Uh, hollywood hollywood is at fault here for not providing great content and that goes back to what the the late uh 1990s the films that we have out now, it's doesn't, it pales in comparison. And and we have a few minutes left in this segment uh, now for some closing remarks on this topic. Starting with Paul.
3: Ah well, um, first of all, just you know, stop listening to the fucking fans. I'm just gonna put it out there. We need to, they need to stop listening to the damn fan because once you got the fans involved that's what ruins movies and Ken knows this already but what I like to bring up movie wise in this is uh, Alien Covenant uh, look at what the fan did to Alien Covenant all because Hollywood listened to the fans and now we got a piece of shit and then with rubbing alcohol on it just to help maybe have some women and some salt in there too <laughs> but uh you know now they're saying the next alien film is not going to even have aliens in it even though it's called alien awakening so it's i don't know it's i just feel like hollywood just need to start um thinking of original stuff whether it be going out out of their way and finding indie horror uh indie horror makers and trying to start fresh again or at least maybe instead of six writers on a film maybe have like two writers on a film <laughs> and i mean i could go on probably and it's probably everybody else here too with this god type of topic but Oh,
1: Steven, that was a (laughs) poor guy.
3: (laughs) Savage. (laughs) Savage. No, no. I mean, it's 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 a good topic because, you know, we can all weigh into this because it's just like people only want certain type of stuff coming out of Hollywood. And whatever that may be, well, it's remakes, really. But... I mean when are we gonna start getting back to like the originality again of horror films
1: absolutely and Stacy uh, what is your final thoughts on on this topic here uh, and before before you begin I just have to toss my hat in with this Halloween reboot it, my faith is not in it I think it's gonna suck tremendously and it's because of this topic <laughs> people are stuck in the nostalgic era
2: i don't know if you guys caught earlier but i was engaging in a twitter conversation where um we were talking about movie posters and how older movie posters uh were much more creative than the posters are nowadays and how <laughs> all of the posters seem to be the same and one great example was slasher posters Mm. where like uh all the posters you got the films like say um uh blood feasts you know you got posters like that we have all this stuff going on and it's cool the posters made you want to watch the movie
1: exactly well posters
2: nowadays you look i mean they all look the same right they have the cast members that are standing together <laughs> and i talked about the film that i watched yesterday called ruin me and said how the poster art reminded me of *Scream*. the screen poster <laughs> and you see the halloween h20 Poster going around on Twitter and it's like it reminds me of that film too and then we got into the topic of films and how uh, films nowadays like slasher films are pretty much all the same and I talked about how the characters in my me is like a cliche because it's pretty much the same character roles that you see in just about every slasher film nowadays so um, yeah <laughs> it's definitely like
1: well interesting interesting and and thank you steven for presenting this topic it could go in so many different directions uh as you well seen we went into even with movie posters
0: yeah i mean it's something that that affects every aspect of the genre and i don't really think there's any getting away with it and when you look back at something where like art where everybody is inspired by something and everybody kind of pays an homage to something it, it can get tricky but i think that it's it's the fans that want a 10th a installment of something and it, it's at a certain point where it, can't we just let this character have had a good run before we tarnish it with with you know going online and seeing like oh well this sequel was terrible and then the subsequent three like why didn't we just stop while we were ahead then it, it's kind of like that situation and I just feel like we need to move on from some things. And especially since people, when they watch movies when they're younger, I mean, you're more open to scares when you're younger. So anybody who's you know, born in the eighties is exposed to eighties and nineties movies. They're gonna think it's scarier. And then as we get older, it's, it's less so. So I think that's also kind of a, a generational thing that everybody kind of needs to accept that looking back at some of the movies we find terrifying, all of us probably have a few that really aren't that good. <laughs>
1: absolutely thank you for that topic and now we gotta branch into the uh paul's topic
0: segment three is crowdfunding hurting indie films
3: one we got you know we got kickstarter and we got indiegogo which everybody should know that to uh, crowdfunding platforms alone are different depending on how people or should I say filmmakers themselves uh, set up their campaign to reach their funding uh, one way is they can have it as a set goal meaning like um, it will only be charged if they reach the goal but otherwise if they set it as the um, like uh, I forget the uh, word right now, but if they set it as a specific like amount where like whatever they earn is, um, out of the goal is what they get. So even if they don't make the go, they at least um, collect the funds of what people have already donated. But now uh, with recent articles going around saying that Indiegogo is targeting indie horror filmmakers. So to me, it's like, okay, so, how are people um gonna get funds really and i kind of look at it as another option so so to kind of get what i'm trying to get uh to get at here is um so let's say dk mag wanted to make a movie about popcorn scares and everybody getting eaten alive by the colonel anyway um
2: (laughs) that's a great idea that's a good idea
3: (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you know so they they set that kickstarter or indiegogo go for like three grand right and then if they don't make it because of this new policy which i have to read more into it but it sounds like indiegogo is completely like like pushing out the idea of indie filmmakers on their site or something, it's weird. Hmm. And, but but I guess what I'm trying to say is, so it's just indie filmmaker, or should I say in this case of the example, if DK does not make this three grand to make this popcorn uh, monster with kernels that eat you um, film. Then that means they're gonna have to look at a different way which most people go to Patreon now. And if you all donate so much a month, you know, they can set themselves goals. Like, hey, I can do this, I can start doing this, I can hire people to do this. So let's say DK Mag now set up a goal for Patreon where to get $3,000 a month, they can start doing a film, but that gets to be re- interesting because with Patreon it's every month. And with the crowdfunding like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you know, you only just have a month to get all that funds and that's it. But in Patreon's case, if you get three grand to help with your movie, then you're, you know, you're set every month. Because let's say like, oh, oh, I already spent this three grand on um, practical effects uh, special makeup um set location whatever so now you're already guaranteed on the first or whatever when you make that post even because you can go by creation too is that you're gonna have that other three grand so and then you know it builds up every year so if you do three grand times 12 you know you're gonna get almost like a lot like 300 and 300,000 300, I think and, pe- and people can make I, movies I, with that <laughs> no but but then now instead of making you know that short film now you're on your way to a full length all because you know you're getting that three grand every month and I just feel nowadays uh, with crowdfunding it can hurt and it's just because so it kind of goes back to like the last topic we were just talking about where people don't want anything new they're, they're stuck in the old age and you know like anything new that gets brought out to the table now it's it just like you know nobody wants it and I think that's why crowdfunding is going to start hurting indie filmmakers so uh, Stephen, what are your thoughts on this
0: so I, I do agree that there is definitely potential of that. And I do think it actually harks back to the topic that we were just on. I, I spoke to a director a few months back who he had kind of gone through a similar route. He was trying to go on one of the platforms. I don't remember which it was one of the ones uh, like Kickstarter and he had referenced you know that he wasn't having much luck but then it was around the same time as um and i forget the name of it It, never hike in the woods or something alone it was the friday the 13th indie film and somebody like that i mean he put that up on there and got so much money instantly just because it's a recognized franchise and the issue with that is i mean if we're starting to throw in brand recognition we're just completely singling out these people who have hopes and dreams of starting mm-hmm. something new, unless they already have an established following, which for most of these people, it's it's not the case or they're in the process. And I, I've talked to people with tons of different budgets. I've I've talked to people who have recognizable people in their movies. I've talked to people who are, you know, at that range somewhere below that. And I've talked to people who are there with, you know, an extra 100 bucks killing their friends in their backyards for fun. And it's just because they love what they do. And I think when you start to eliminate these outlets for these people, you're going to start discouraging them altogether. And then our only chance of finding some kind of hope is to milk what we already know for every last time we can.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting. And let's get Stacy's opinion on this one. It sounds, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, when Paul, when you actually shared that, uh, article with me some time ago, uh, it was, I had to say that it actually broke my heart. Um, because and I had pulled it up and it said right here, You know, a recent change to the site's terms of use has the potential to make the site much less friendly for independent genre filmmakers and has left at least one creator in a difficult situation. And it uh, goes on to talk about um, Dustin Wade Mills, how he had a campaign for the Hornets Disciple and the scars she left. And so when it was time for Indiegogo to, you know, he's waiting for his funds to be released so he can collect it and send to his backers and everything. And, you know, this new policy just changed it all. And I feel that this is a shame. This is a shame um, because it's been very easy for independent filmmakers to look to these platforms to help to help back their projects so for this to happen i'm just like ouch like so what exactly is indiegogo doing are they trying to cater to more uh how would you say um like maybe more hollywood or something like that like what exactly is going on here
1: right well i think for crowdfunding is just like gambling yeah you could put your film on there and get a hundred thousand dollars but yet your friend could do it have a, a great idea just like you but he'll get nothing it's, i i don't know there's must be a formula in crowdfunding for horror films there, there has to be and why does one person get so many and the other person doesn't there has to be some type of good playing field where everybody could enjoy this money uh, that is coming in. And for Patreon, I, I I know everything, Horror podcast. they're on Patreon, we're on Patreon. And it's all a struggle, especially with creating content, podcasting, all of this, this is not free. And we need monthly revenue to at least help in some capacity. Uh, I think it's just gambling and paul with that front what do you suggest could be a better platform for crowdfunding
3: i honestly don't really know maybe patreon because um you know at least then you can continue getting funds rather than just you know trying to get that goal because at least with Patreon, you know, you can you can set a goal. But the, the, the problem now is you need to get content to keep people coming back. To want to keep pledging to you. And here's the funny thing I've seen. I've seen a Patreon page for a horror video game. Where they had like 200, 260 pledgers. And zero post so how how is that even possible how how why would you be i don't know i guess in a way it's like what you were saying ken you're gambling your you're you're gambling your money away in this case because if you are pledging a month and there's still zero content on this patreon to even tell you what's going on uh you know like what the hell is going on but I don't know. I mean, we, it's really hard and sad because there's also ho- like horror stories when it comes to people even pledging money for uh, projects on Kickstarter, maybe even Indiegogo where, you know, the uh, the uh, campaign person got the fund and then maybe blew the funds and then that was it. You know, nobody's gonna get their uh, their item that they kickstarted or whatever all because they fell into the whole um i'm gonna call it the kickstarter horror story where you're you're not gonna get anything so it's it's really hard and it's very risky especially when you're trying to help people because now it's gonna make you go okay well i just supported you know what to say three kickstarter people and now i just got screwed all three times and i don't even think i'm gonna see my stuff because now they've disappeared so it's 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 gonna be um you know just gonna be a whole new horror story (laughs) how
1: how ironic a horror story for a horror story (laughs) and to to close out we have uh steven also uh this is an interesting topic. I don't I don't know. Uh, it's 50/50 with this crowdfunding thing that's going on. I, I see the benefits, I see the the pitfalls, and especially for indie filmmakers, is what do you do? It, it's a good platform to get money, especially when you have no money.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it's kind of a double-edged sword for everyone involved because the people working with it and proposing these projects might not get anything. Uh, Whether it's competition, whether they just don't have the skills in marketing, whether it's just dumb luck. On top of that, you also have the people who are pledging. Understandably, why wouldn't you want to pledge on something you know you already enjoy? I mean, there are people who are like that. They will only take the safe bet. You do lose out on the ones that could have been great, but you also save where you would have lost. Any other purchase you make, anytime you buy a movie ticket, you are risking hate for two hours. Right and uh, I'm not 100% familiar with it, but I know that as far as gaming goes, like there's a game series, Castlevania, one of the, the better ones, Sym- Symphony of the Night, one of the creators of that, one of the biggest PlayStation 1 games. He's got uh, a game that he's working on, which is basically the same exact spirit, same plot line, different characters, so he doesn't get sued by Konami. He's got that on one of those platforms, and I'm pretty sure it's one of the highest like, raised uh, funds for anything on there and it it almost makes you wonder if there should be some kind of system to almost kind of screen out to see can these people find investors elsewhere because this these situations are people who could get money
1: right otherwise right yeah you make an interesting point and that's uh when i mentioned earlier there should be some type of even playing field of those who have experience and those who want to get experience you can't put them in the same boat because we all know the guy with the most experience and name recognition gets the most money, as sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, can George Lucas hop on this platform and, and pledge
1: <laughs> pledge a project? I mean, can- Yeah, exactly. And, and if someone else has the same idea, well, of course, different characters and stuff, he'd probably get zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, interesting topic it is, and, and crowdfunding is gonna be here to stay. Even for us as podcasters, journalists, it's a good forum. Uh, Patreon is is good. You just gotta know how to tweak your rewards, and so that way it doesn't mess with your daily routine of creating content. You don't wanna be uh, doing something else that takes away your your time from creating content. And for filmmakers, yeah, just keep doing the gamble. I until something gets fixed where everything is even uh this is the only way to go really and to and to continue we have segment four and we're going to present stacy's topic
2: segment for horror pushing the limits and boundaries. So the big question for me here is, what challenges your boundaries and limits? How much can you endure mentally and emotionally? A lot of horror enthusiasts crave to be terrified in some way. Uh, that's why you have more of these extreme haunts that are taking fear, the fear experience to a whole new level. However, for me, that fear experience translates to film because let's face it, I can't bring myself to experience an extreme harm because I'm just not mentally strong in that sense. So I like to challenge my soul or my strength in films. That's why the topic of pushing the limits as far as content goes is so appealing to me and I tend to discuss it often. So what attracts your attention to films uh, that are overhyped reviews? The ones that say a film is twisted or deranged, or they use a statement such as not for the faint of heart or not for those with weak stomachs. So I will watch those hardcore underground films that are based on the reviews alone. Uh, Not necessarily because they're enjoyable. Because let's face it, most of them, probably 90 to 95% of these films are bad in one area or another. Uh, Most of them, like with horrible performances, horrible cinematography, special effects that will just make you shake your head in disappointment. But for me, it's all about challenging my mind to sit through that 70 to 90 minutes without breaking my wheel. It's about survival of the cinematic fear experience. Paul, I'm going to start with you because you seem to be really big in the fear experience. You recently shared with me your adventures in ghost haunting with finding Ralph and the one with the soldier. And I remember thinking how terrifying that must have been being out in the cemetery or the woods, especially that late at night, ghost haunting. At the same time, it must be your gateway to channeling your fear. So what does the fear experience and challenging your limits mean to you?
3: Well, To be honest, I know one person here doesn't really quite believe in the uh, paranormal stuff. <laughs> oh, who so, could that uh, be? <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see that. <laughs> um, I wonder who's that. Anyway, no. Um, anyway, you know, I guess I guess what I'm gonna say about horror pushing boundaries, or in this case, what you're asking me about going out there in the field and seeing what I can find. I guess you could say it really started back in middle school when I um, went over to my friend's, Justin's house—well, technically farmhouse—and you know we would be would be sitting there watching a movie up in his room on the second floor, which is like really has uh, two two guest rooms, his room, and then there's like another big room but it leads into like um, his sister's room. But that door has always been locked. So you can't really unlock it. So if it even was uh, Justin's sister trying to spook us, she would literally would have to walk around the entire house just to find us and come up the stairs, which we can hear, and just do whatever that I've experienced. But there's, a, there's been quite a few experiences there where, you know, it's, it's very hard not to believe that there's something that, that the naked eye can't see. And, like, example, so there was one night where we all had, um, we were um, celebrating Justin's birthday. It was me, Justin, and another friend of his. So that night, when we went to bed, which was on a big-ass futon thing, um, Justin always took the window because he needed some type of wind or fan to hit him to help him sleep. I was in the middle because I was like at least kind of like the biggest one. And then our other friend Ethan was at the uh, end of the table, I mean end of the bed that very morning a very same morning like going into it i would wear justin was which was the window justin was on the floor (laughs) and ethan was like in the middle so he kind of took like my place in a way but you would have to you have to think about that so if justin were to get up not only would i have to feel it or be rolled on top of, we'll say, as he rolled over me, and Ethan. So it's just one of those things like, what the hell even happened? And then we get an experience where uh, this, is the, this is everybody's favorite, uh, whether they ever can get it caught on camera, uh, camcorder or not, is um, I, how do you explain, when you're watching a movie in, in your bedroom, locked bedroom too and then out of nowhere the door opens by itself Mm -hmm. and then you already so you're already questioning it like what it could be well it can't be the wind because this is why it uh it can't be the sister because she's gone and everybody else is gone because you know it's like eight o'clock at night and and his family is uh Doing, you know, the barn work and stuff that goes on at waiting, waiting the hours. So that kind of started my paranormal interest because it's just like, okay, what? And then, but of course I watched all the paranormal shows or at least the ghost hunter show. And um, then back in 2011 is where I actually started um, a paranormal group with a couple friends of mine and from there we've either caught something or we didn't uh catch anything but in stacy's case with the video that she's talking about with finding ralph which i think that's one of my favorite evidence ever i've ever caught and and that is because um i bought a spirit box which um if people don't know what a spirit box is picture like an evp regular evp like what to say this is a recorder right and then I'm gonna be like is there anybody here can you speak your name and then you know I hold it out and then um, you know at that point in time I'm gonna have to take my recorder now and hear it if I even got a response at home but with the spirit box you can hear it in real time so whatever you're gonna get you're gonna hear it in real time so when we heard Ralph, it came in clear as day, and I think Stacy can even agree with me on that, that it came out yeah. so clear, yeah, that you could, like, definitely tell it. that the guy said Ralph. And, um, which is interesting. That's all we got. And then a week after that spirit box session, we went back, I went back with a different crew. And, you know, it was just like... It was just like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I just, it's just really a weird experience because it's just one of those ones where you, you can't believe you're finding a, sh- a gravestone with Ralph in it, I guess. And Steven, I'm going to put you on the table now because I know your opinion from uh, episode with DK. So I'd like to know your thoughts on this.
0: So kind of taking into account both uh, Stacy, how, how she had presented the question, and then also uh, to follow up with Paul's, I, I grew up, the house that I just moved from, that I, I grew up with my whole childhood, uh, it was considered the haunted house in the neighborhood. There was a suicide in her bathroom. There was a murder in the garage. And a lot of people really believed in the area that that house was weird. People would come over and say weird things happened. I, I'd heard from people in this small town that were even my teachers who had actually lived in the house when he was a kid that weird stuff happened. And I just, I don't know, I I guess I just don't believe in it. it nothing's happened to me. Um, that's just kind of where I stand on it. If, if people are fascinated by it, which I am, I, I do think it's an interesting concept. Uh, it's just. For me, I, I need some proof for myself, I guess, and I haven't found that, but as far as pushing my limits in other ways, I guess for me, horror isn't so much about keeping me scared to death of something. It's more like giving me some kind of like strange feeling, an afterthought, making me worry about something. and. You know, there are a lot of people right now who who talk about extreme horror films. And as someone who who's worked in surgery before and someone who's worked in a cadaver lab doing dissections, I've seen gore and I, I enjoy seeing special effects, not because it freaks me out, just because I like to see how, how good some of these people are. I think it's fascinating. Like there's some really cool stuff out there. But when I go and I try to find something to really push myself, it's usually heavy in the plot. It's where can people be pushed to their limits and why? Is it always just a, a black and white, this entity is after you or is it relationships with people? And I think that's where I find my enjoyment and my ways to push myself with things. I like those controversial movies that really kind of push the limits in terms of meaning. And when you when you talk about some things like I know like McCamey Manor or something, people talk about going there to basically go there and, and really get scared. I that hasn't I have no interest in that. And it for those of you who don't know what I talk about, it's basically like going to a haunted house in October, except they grab you and hold you down and torture you and it's it you sign waivers and it's it's extremely aggressive. They they have a camera shoved in your face the whole time. To me, that's that's not horror that's PTSD that's not what I'm going for I'm okay like like jumping a little all right I'm totally fine with that I expect that I I hope for that it's fun Uh, getting a reaction is half the fun of horror like there's no shame in it I mean that's why we go we we enjoy the the fun of it but when it comes to things like that to to kind of prove something to myself or or really test my my limits whether it be physically or or uh, mentally, I'm I'm just not into that idea. I guess right, and
1: and that's a good point because Stacy, she had an invitation to go to uh, one of these uh, haunts that you describe, and for some strange reason, it didn't pull through. The organization never got off the ground, which is tragic. But yeah, how far can you? go with these things uh, when it has to do with a haunted house and for horror film for horror film I prefer horror with gore and this and that yeah but I also enjoy horror films that carry a story if I'm gonna sit and watch a film of somebody being chopped up there better be a good story behind that (laughs) absolutely and to touch up with with um with Paul Paul, uh, guess what in the last podcast that I had with uh, with Stacy last week as a matter of fact I had a paranormal episode there was two episodes as a matter of fact we were house sitting last week so I had my mobile uh, computer slash podcasting center and First of all, the day started that a painting fell off the wall for no apparent reason. And this thing <laughs> has been on the hook for months. It fell off for some reason. Don't know why. So I said this to myself. Okay, fine. Whatever. It happened. Whatever. Something happened. Right. So later on that evening, I was recording with uh, Stacy, And on my mic, I'm hearing something. So I hear somebody walking down the stairs. And I said to myself, wait a second. I told everyone i was in the basement don't come down sake of privacy i don't want the audio to be contaminated so hearing somebody come down the stairs and jiggle the handle to the to the room that i was in I say wait a second i they knew i was in this room why are you going to try to come inside this room so after the podcast was over i went upstairs I asked my wife she said no i asked the three other guests that were with us, nobody went down to go down to this particular room in the basement, and the the dogs that we would babysitting to, at the same time, everybody correlated the time, and they said the dogs started barking at that time, and they heard three knocks at that very same time. So everybody was spooked out. <laughs> I have. <laughs> the sound of the person or whatever it was walking down the stairs and jiggling the handle to this and i send it over to stacy so i'll say okay paul's gonna love this i got my first paranormal experience <laughs> and now that we, we've covered all of the topics all of the segments everybody had some great ideas here uh great conversations uh now is this the point that we close it out uh closing thoughts or anything else you care to insert i'm going to start with uh steven uh closing remarks on everything we've talked about and or something that just popped into your head that you just want to get off your chest just vent this is the the confession room right here for horror
0: Ah uh, gosh, you know, venting me, yikes! I could rant for a long time on a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, the the nostalgia thing, man, that that gets me. Uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of comparing everything to other stuff. Uh, I think I think we need to recognize things for their own merits. But no, this is this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I do think though that if I buy a T-shirt that's like two sizes too small and some of you guys want to come with me i could be convinced to do a ghost hunter show
1: so, <laughs> oh, I, so if anybody
0: I, wants to go show me
1: <laughs> i i i know what you meant by that <laughs> see, you, you got the glasses so it's a good yeah, reference
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're pull it off
1: oh definitely well i think you need to do the hair like the the greasy thing going with the hair, yeah, 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 one hundred percent <laughs> Halloween costume. <laughs> oh, that was a good let's one. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, for Paul, uh, what is your final thoughts of any of the topics, or if you want to vent on something else that you want to talk about?
3: Um, well, Hollywood just need to get her ass out of there head out of the ass or ass <laughs> head out of the ass you know they just need to take a shit and then they just need to clear their <laughs> mind I guess um you know stop doing the remakes they need to definitely stop listening to the fans because otherwise we're just gonna start getting rehashed everything and then um or if they listen to what the fans want then maybe we're gonna have a 50-50 chance of getting the movie actually ruined Or movies in general because if fans want more scares then we're gonna probably be seeing more cheap-ass jump scares and we don't really want that because let's be honest everybody gets sick of jump scares we we need something more or different and um, the only way to get that is if originality comes back into play like watch something new that can scare people now and Um, you know, there's kind of like what Steven said, we could probably go on and on about something like that. And that's the sad thing because horror is just, it was like it's starting to come back, but it's not coming back like with the old ways. It's, it depends on what's being made and what's really coming out and what she's, uh, the light of day and what doesn't like you know it's 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 one of those sad things where is you just never know what's gonna actually be in the spotlight and what actually worse um watching but isn't getting any spotlight at all if that makes sense right and I don't know and going back to um Stacy's topic about pushing the boundaries and stuff Maybe, maybe that's the thing too with Hollywood. Maybe Hollywood need to start pushing boundaries. Uh, bound, uh, need to start pushing more, whether it them going out of their way and trying to help somebody uh, indie horror-wise with a film of theirs because they find the idea unique and creative, versus. Let's make Tower five thousand because everybody <laughs> knows Teletubbies. Um And yeah, maybe we, maybe in this case, maybe we could get DK Max, uh, popcorn, <laughs> uh, Colonel on Killer. So <laughs> yeah, the, with the cor- uh, yeah. Colonel Killer, yes. Um, yeah. You know who knows? <laughs> um, but I just really think horror just needs to um you know it needs to kind of go back and appreciate originality versus something we already know give us something we don't know and then make us want to learn it because um you know learning something new was always fun too
1: exactly and Stacy uh what were your takeaways from these discussions this evening, or just vent, uh, work, commute, something that's hard?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, touching on what Paul said about uh, pushing the limits with Hollywood and everything, um, and being something different. I think with Hollywood. Um, Hollywood i think they're stuck in between where you know of course we got the constant remakes everything they're going with what's um you know what 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 we know and then they go into the realm of trying to be so different and so original that they go all the way up to end thus feels like the rich. <laughs> so uh yeah i think hollywood and horror just really don't mix. They got, like I said, they got a few rare gems out there, but they don't really mix for the most part. Um, and it's really funny because you have this A-list cast, you know, this well-known cast, and the story. I think a lot of times people watch it because of the cast. Right? You know, like take take the movie Doctor. You know, like, uh yeah, she's awesome. She was awesome in Monsters Fall.
1: But in God, I'm just like, <laughs> this is too commercial. Now.
3: I'll just say it real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt Stacey, but that reminded me of a topic uh, that when I interviewed Alex Merkin, uh, who directed House of the Witch, which by the way, anybody watching should definitely check out that movie. Very good indie horror film by Alex Merkin. But no, Alex Merkin brought up a really good point, which I haven't heard anybody really bring up in a long time, which is familiar faces. Uh If we, just like, example that we kind of threw back and forth is Brad Pitt. Everybody know Brad Pitt. Uh. So you throw Brad, Brad Pitt into World War Z, no, and no. now we got a crummy-ass Brad shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, we, me and him kind of went back and forth. What happened if we did not have Brad Pitt? What <laughs> would have... what would... World would Z be then uh, anyway? So if we get used to Brad Pitt being an action movie, but then you f- bring him uh, into like a horror movie like that, we already know what's gonna happen he's not gonna die he's not gonna turn he's gonna be the hero yes we get it and i know brad pitt was in uh interview with the vampire but i mean come on now but familiar faces can i think ruin movies
1: that's that's true uh oh we open up on a can of worms here uh i have to say uh world war z was a piece of shit with or without a uh, Brad Pitt because zombies don't climb each other and knock down a helicopter from the sky. It's just, it's, it's I mean, zombies is not real, but that's not real at all. This <laughs> is <just> ridiculous.
0: <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's ah, uh, I mean, what what does I in the forties a zombie was a you know from. From voodoo and practiced in like Haiti and the Dominican Republic, and I mean, it's already gone through such a such a big evolution. And uh, you've got just general infection movies like Twenty Eight Days Later. Are they zombies? Right. I mean, who really cares? The distinction <laughs> that that movie wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, Twenty Eight Days Later was, but but World War Z wasn't was. Was it exactly?
1: <laughs> uh, oh yeah, we could all agree on that. That's put, totally cool. Uh, closing. Uh, this is a segment right now. Just plug in your your social media handles, uh, wherever it may be. Uh, starting with you, Stephen. Where could people find Possessed Radio?
0: Uh, Possessed Radio is on iTunes and Google Play. If you want to listen, you can also find me at Red Dragons Radio and Geeks of the dot com. They're both podcast networks. And then uh, my website is Possessed Twitter is possessed underscore radio and then facebook.com slash possessed radio. If you want to follow my Instagram, this is my personal one. It's sleeping mongoose. It's all one word. (laughs) And uh, if you want to hang out with me in the future, I'll be at Midwest Horror Fest this October. I'll be doing some judging and it's free this year. So you guys should check that out. I'll have more information on that up too.
1: Oh, cool. Cool. Congratulations on that. That sounds awesome. Let me tell you. Thanks if, for
0: inviting
1: me. You're finding Sleeping Mongoose on Instagram is so difficult. I don't know why. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe because
1: you can't the G. There's no G. Yeah, there's no G. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> and for Paul, uh, plug in your social media handles and where persons could find your podcast. Everything Horror Podcast.
3: Well, you... <laughs> Well, you can find us uh, pretty much on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook with the handle EH Podcast. So Um, E-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S. Or you can go to EHpodcast.com, which has all the links there. Uh, we are on patreon like ken mentioned before otherwise we have a paypal donation li- uh, link that if you don't want to do patreon you can just donate through paypal uh no pressure <laughs> um no he's supposed to go like this no pretty pressure much no
1: pressure
3: <laughs> yeah 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 actually oh well, crap well i don't i should have brought it out i should have brought my fantasy battle axe. i should have been like you do it you do, do it now, it now. <laughs> um <laughs> no uh um, so, yeah, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, for listening-wise, we are on Amazon Alexia. I don't know really how that works, but I just know that I guess you tell Alexa or whatever to listen to Everything Horror Podcast, and there you go. Um, we're on Spotify. We're on Podbean. We're on YouTube, of course, and iTunes
1: all right thank you for that and yep. now i'm going to put stacy back on uh stacy
2: be sure to stop by our oh, patreon page question. at patreon.com forward slash your donations will help us through future episodes as a patron you will receive the content as well as free and this content
1: thank you so much and dk mag is on itunes spotify stitcher tune in google play and we if you have a google home device just say okay google play dk mag and we'll pop up on your speaker like magic techno technology magic which is great and we're on facebook instagram uh pinterest I, I keep forgetting one i always miss one but it's at dk mag we're not dk or dk magazine or the word dk dk mag thank you for listening and thank you everyone for your time for this uh round table discussion and thank you for the topics guys
3: well thank you for having us thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you.